Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And think of Midtown. I mean, just the theater district in general. There's no there's no reason for anybody to go there. There are no yeah. tourists able to enjoy something. So there are no restaurants. There are no uh, servers. All that stuff uh, is just well, heartbreaking. Parking is still $30 for 15 minutes. I'll tell <laughs> you that. So Some things funny. don't change. Yeah. Look for comfort yeah. there. <laughs> I'm diking out. You're diking out. Let's dike out together. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that loves to talk about boxes. Uh, I mean boxing. I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Melody Kamali. And today we are diking out with actress and singer Clea Blackhurst about boxing. But first, some announcements, of course. Yes. You hollers, if you have not considered it yet, please consider giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts and bonus points if you give us a written review. Please be nice. And while you're at your computer, you can check us out on Jemmy at jemmy.app forward slash diking out for one-on-one or two-on-one interactions customized personally by us for you. And as you know, we are always just screaming about our Patreon because we love our patron community so much. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash diking out. We have a bunch of more episodes to come. As I mentioned, things are a little crazy in my life right now with the move, but I have like three extra content episodes burning in my back pocket that will be up soon. One with Mara Wilson, one with one of our patrons about body hair, one with, that's really overdue, with past guest Lindsay Bowling. So we have so much great stuff there at the $5 level. Then at the $10 level, you get to join our Facebook group. At the $15 level, you get ad-free episodes. At the $20 level, you get virtual hangouts with us. So there's a lot going on there. It's a great time. So please consider signing up there to support the podcast. It is our biggest means of support and what literally keeps us going week after week. Uh, Speaking of the Facebook group, I made us all take the auto straddle, which happiest season character are you? And I'm happy to report we have no Harpers in the group. We do. We actually have a Harper. We just got a Harper. breaking development? (laughs) Yes. Breaking news. We finally have a Harper. If y'all don't know, uh, (laughs) auto straddle has a quiz on the site right now. Which happiest season character are you? (laughs) For the longest time, there's a long thread going in the Facebook group. We were happy to find no Harpers until last night. We finally, days in, got our first Harper. Oh my God, I can't wait to see who it is because I feel like I know almost everybody. And I mean, the group has grown significantly. It's a little bit harder to keep track of everyone, but I know like at least half the people I feel like significantly well. So I'm going to be shocked to find out. This is a newer member. Okay, okay. And she explained herself and was like, I mean, I guess I am bougie. (laughs) And I did recently come out. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So funny. But for the most part, a lot of Abbeys, a lot of Rileys, and me and a few others, of course, pan representation. We are Johns. <laughs> Were you surprised to get John? Were you hoping not to at get all. John? Okay. I, I knew I would get John. <laughs> I got Riley. I'm not too surprised there. I want to take it again. Because I got some answers that made me think I would be a Riley. But there's a question that is, what is your dream job? And I hit the literary agent. And I sort of knew at that point I would get John. So I want to take it again oh, and do yeah, my yeah. other dream job, museum curator, and see if I still get him. <laughs> I did the novelist one. So I thought there was a good chance that I was going to get Jane. <laughs> Jane, yeah. But no, I got I got Riley. Hey, if I could, I would be a doctor. <laughs> So, yes, that quiz was on Autostraddle. It definitely wasn't on a website that, you know, you might go to if you're looking for some trans-exclusionary lesbian content. But as we all know, uh, coronavirus is really bad right now in this country. And past guests, Ever Maynard, did put forward the theory that there is a tie between COVID, 5G, and AfterEllen.com. So I'm going to say the current spike in COVID maybe finally is what did AfterEllen.com. You know it did. (laughs) And if you need any more explanation, you might have missed our episode with Ever Maynard. Give that a listen. And you know we have been on their trails since the COVID pandemic hit. We know what you're up to after Ellen.com, and we're finally, we're glad someone finally took you down. You know who I actually think took down after Ellen.com? Elliot Page. It happened the day after he came out. <laughs> yeah, that I think they actually um, imploded. The website imploded when Elliot Page came out. Yeah, it was just so angry. It couldn't handle the news. <laughs> Speaking of angry lesbians, I am an angry lesbian at one of our listeners for getting me into the bold type. (laughs) Why would you do that to me? I actually watched that uh, the first few episodes when it came on, when it premiered. Because there's a Persian lesbian in it? Yep. (laughs) Yeah. You, You know what has me watching is, and I forget her name, but the actress who plays Jan from The Office... Is so hot in it. And that's the only thing that makes She is your type. She is. Yeah. She's That's your bold type. My bold type. Uh, (laughs) Also, Cecilia. Cecilia is like practically drooling at the TV in some of her outfits because she does wear like these sheer tops under her blazers and like, you know, these really high end fashion dresses and heels and her hair short. And she is looking fine she's the best part of the show the rest of it well no no the the muslim persian lesbian is mm-hmm. also the best part of the show except she's kind of dumb uh because she, <laughs> right in the beginning she's applying for a work visa and then she flies out of the country and is surprised oh. that yeah they don't let her back into the country and it's like uh yeah when you apply for your visa, they let you know pretty clearly, you do can't not do that. The, you can't just leave the country. You're not going to be let back in. So, uh, you know, I'm sure the writer's room were just like, oopsie, when they... <laughs> yeah. You need some more immigrants in writer's rooms or products right. of immigrants. Right. I will write for the bold type. Is it still going on? <laughs> yeah. You need kids of immigrants and people who have married immigrants and dealt with the visa process. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> 
So we're going to be writing the next season of The Bold Type is what we're trying to say here. Wait. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to write off all the street characters. <laughs> no, it's it's a fun show. I just can't believe I'm wasting my time with it. Uh, a better show that a listener recommended was Banana, which is a BBC miniseries. And it's a show that is super gay. Every episode is very, very gay. And there are stories for like all genders. There's a trans story, different sexualities, but it's very, very queer. And it's such a great show. It has characters that kind of thread all the episodes like there's a little bit of overlap with the characters but they each take a turn being like the major character in an episode and there's this one episode with Letitia Wright from she was in an episode of Black Mirror and she's also in Black Panther she's Hmm. like the tech guru in the family I think it's like the little sister of Black Panther I don't know she's an amazing actress and her episode I had to watch twice because it like pulls at the heartstrings and it's just how'd you watch it I think I watched it on Amazon I might have had to sign up for a trial of something but it's a quick watch I think it's like eight episodes maybe and there's also one with Tania Miller from Bly Manor which another listener had uh, let me know that she plays queer which the actress is queer and that was a fun episode too but the other one I mentioned it's just such a great episode and I recommend that to everybody and that's great TV with great acting and great writing. And Melody, I cannot believe you warned me ahead of time that I warned you, (laughs) but I'm still going to talk about it. Dear listeners, I am upset. Carolyn wants to talk about the prom. I know you want to listen and hear about her thoughts on the prom. I have not seen it yet. My girlfriend, Allie, has been recovering from a bladder operation. She's been peeing blood. I've been taking care of her. This last week. Nice excuse. All right. You shouldn't <laughs> let some blood in your urine get in the way from watching the prom. Okay. We will be watching it today. I don't care how many shots of Botox. Hallie got 10 shots she of got in Botox her in her bladder. She was scream crying throughout it. She was not put under. She was really like when they got to the eighth or ninth shot, she was like, I cannot take this anymore, like begging them to stop. And then apparently when it was all over, the doctor apologized and said, yeah, we really should have done that in the OR and you should have been put under. And I was like, can we sue him for saying that? (laughs) Like, (laughs) even if you could have, don't say that. Um, yeah, she's been she has a bladder condition called interstitial cystitis. She has cysts and a lot of pain. It feels like she has a constant UTI for the last 3 years. Uh so hopefully this helps, but we'll be recovering now that she's like fully lucid. Broadway is the best medicine melody. And watching the prom, yes. You know she's well, a musical theater kid. She, we're all very excited here. I know. I've already talked about the prom on the podcast, I think a, a year or so ago when I actually saw it on Broadway. I think it was a little bit over a year ago. It was closing week. And the Netflix adaptation, it's pretty close and I think pretty good. I mean, I definitely cried just as much with the movie, which I was surprised at because I tend to cry more when I'm watching a musical on Broadway than I do when I'm watching something on screen. Like, for Mm. some reason, Broadway just tends to hit me in the feels a little bit more. But this had me, I mean, Cecilia was surprised at, again, how much I was crying throughout this 
movie, and I'm not alone in that. Everybody that I've seen comment on it online has talked about how they cried during it, but it's it's a good cry. We'll talk more about the performances and stuff once you've watched it, Melody. I don't yeah. want you to feel left out. I'm also curious to hear what you have to say about it, having not seen the musical. No, all I've done is read the articles when this happened a decade ago, IRL. Yeah, so it's based on a real story and not everybody knows that because when you're watching, you might think like, oh, this feels, well, it depends on where you live. If you live in a, in a red state or a more rural area, you might be like, oh, this is definitely how it is to be queer in high school. But this happened in 2010 in Mississippi where Constance McMillan wanted to go to prom and wear a tux and bring her girlfriend and the school PTA decided to cancel prom. And then a bunch of the parents got together and they made a private prom and didn't tell her about it. So all of her classmates went to prom. And it's a horrible story. And they took that as inspiration for this musical. And they added this really campy, over-the-top Broadway element, which kind of balances it out. It's very silly. But I, I kind of appreciate it because based on how much I cry with the other storyline, it would just be a lot. So it's fun to have kind of those two things playing out. The other thing that people were talking about online before I even watched this was people were mad that James Cornyn was casting it to play this like campy, very gay character. And he is straight. And people like that should have been a gay man. Like, there's no reason why that couldn't have been Nathan Lane, Titus Burgess, or, you know, somebody who is actually out. I know in the past I've said, you know, I don't feel like it always has to be a out queer person playing a queer role, especially, like, if the other actor can pull it off. But because this one is, like, this camp Canonically. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But because this is, like, a stereotypical Broadway, over-the-top gay man, it just feels, like, wrong to have a straight guy play, like, a stereotype of a gay man, like Robin Williams in The Birdcage. Like, it feels like we should be past that. And James Corden isn't a good actor. So, like, if it was, like, a really great actor who, who could pull it off. He's not? Didn't you see Cats? I'm not basing it off Cats. I think he is a good actor from not Cats, but, like, the BBC shows he did. And his, like, acting career prior to his talk show. Maybe he's, he's gotten rusty since he's moved on to talk show hosting. But he used to be a very good Okay, I guess it's not like a horrible, you know, his accent was a little bit questionable at one part. And just knowing that he was straight and playing gay, it just felt very, I don't know. A little I know, bit. I'm being biased. I do love the show Gavin and Stacey, and that's a show he wrote and starred in. He wasn't oh. the main character. He was like played the best friend. It's one of my favorite shows. So maybe I got a little sensitive. <laughs> I, I'm not too familiar with him. I just, I'm about to start bleeding any minute. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. <laughs> At least they had the two uh, actresses that play the teenagers as out queer women, yeah. uh, Ariana DeBose and Joe Ellen Pellman, who looks distractingly a lot like Elizabeth Moss 
Um, I thought it was Elizabeth Moss. When it looks like her little sister. I just saw a picture, like a screen grab of the movie. Yeah. It really looks like her. Not complaining at all. Since you didn't watch The Prom, Melody, what's the gayest thing you did this week? Oh my God. This one's a doozy, y'all. <laughs> so Friday night, I went to get takeout for me and Allie, taking care of her. I went, stopped at the corner liquor store in my neighborhood to get some wine. And there's always a crowd of people outside this liquor store. Like it's like a hangout spot for people in the neighborhood. And it's always a group of men. Like I noticed the same people every time. So I was, a li- I noticed there was a stud, like this super hot dyke in their Tim's and just like this awesome outfit, just like the color coordination, the swag, just like this awesome fresh cut. Such a stud hanging out with the guys. And as I'm walking by, I have to kind of loop around her so I can get into the store. There's a huge crowd blocking the door. And I'm listening to a podcast and I just have to pause it when I see her. Like that's how (laughs) attractive this person was. And when I pause my podcast, they are just puffing out their chest and saying, any girl you can get, I could get too. Like, just like, <laughs> like stunting on their friends like that. Um, it's just the biggest dyke energy. And I was just like, my mouth must have been open because I, <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm staring at this girl. This all happened within a few seconds, but you know, it felt like forever. I'm staring at this girl. And then one of the guys in the group makes eye contact with me. Um, <laughs> Because I notice him looking at me. I feel like I'm being watched. I look over at him. His eyes are bloodshot. So he's about to say anything that comes to mind. And he's just like, yo, this girl is checking you out. Dumb hard. Like, he just starts screaming, calling me out. The whole group stops and is staring at me. He's like, you should have seen how this girl was looking at you. <laughs> like Melody, it was you're such a so, creep <laughs> I was such a creep and I like got so embarrassed I rush into the store and then I go in my wallet and I told you I've been carrying our diking out cards that was oh, my next oh. question yeah 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 no I had one left um because I found out a friend had a, a gay sister-in-law so I gave a couple to her um <laughs> so I reach in my wallet I find one card and I take it and put it in my pocket I go to order my wine and they're still all outside and I can hear them still talking about how blatantly I was checking her out and and I'm like clutching it in my pocket like okay I'm gonna buy the wine and I'm gonna like just slide it to her smoothly on the way out and be like yeah I'm checking you out because I have a gay podcast that's why (laughs) it's for my podcast (laughs) And then they all decide, they're like, let's go in there, let's go in there. I hear them planning this. I still have my headphones back in pretending I'm listening to someone, something. I'm bobbing my head as if I'm listening to music, but I'm listening to them talk about how they're all going to come in and approach me in the store. And then I got really nervous and I didn't know how, I was just going to be like, I'm a girlfriend, but here's my card. Like, I just felt (laughs) weird and I panicked and I didn't give her the card. She came into the store, her and her friends, they were getting ready to talk to me. They got behind me in line and I quickly grabbed my wine and like scurried out of there. I'll see them on the street again today. Like I, it's always the same group of people. I just never noticed her. It's always a group of men, but I fully got caught. I must've been really checking her out. Like it just happened within a few seconds to me, but I guess I really looked Even with a mask on, obvious. they just, yeah, I had a to, mask on. Yeah. Just your eye contact was so thirsty. Melody. He's like, y'all should have seen the way she was looking at you. Like it was so embarrassing uh, <laughs> and hilarious. 
That's very funny. I can't imagine getting called out like that. It was, I've never, I have never. <laughs> he wouldn't let it go. I was like, all right, he's high. They're drinking. Like, it's just, a, it's a, he'll move on to the next thing. He got fixated on me and his eyes were bloodshot. Yeah, that's, that's gotta be it. Other than that, I found a Riot Girl Christmas album on <laughs> Spotify that I've been playing a lot this week. I All right. Worth a mention. Um, <laughs> what about you, Carolyn? What's the gayest thing you did this week? Well, the gayest thing that I did was with Cecilia. We went to uh, Ikea for a kitchen planning appointment for the kitchen that we're remodeling at the new house and that we move into tomorrow. Literally, yeah. (laughs) And uh, our planner that we were assigned to was so excited, I think, but like trying to play it cool that we were a lesbian couple and like any time he could work it in was mentioning his husband and talking about like his husband and how what his husband does in the kitchen and when he remodeled it and husband this, husband that. I'm like, oh, this guy is so happy to let us know. Then at the end of it we start chatting and like I was actually on a time crunch I picked up a couple of uh, freelance jobs and had a a midnight deadline that I had to get back and work toward but took 20 minutes to talk about the AIDS epidemic (laughs) that's that's it as one does in Ikea uh (laughs) it actually happened because he lives in the west village with his husband and uh-huh. <laughs> and was talking about the the bars and whatnot and of course I brought up cubby hole and afterwards Cecilia was like it was like I knew every topic that you were going to bring up except with AIDS you really threw me for a curveball uh <laughs> It, but she was like, as soon as you said cubbyhole, I knew you were going to talk about the lesbian bar project. And then I told him how there's only 15 bars. And he was shocked and has to tell his husband that there's only 15 and he can't believe it. And then we start going through the bars. He starts telling me the bars that used to exist there. And then we started talking about maybe it's because a lot more gay bars are mixed now. And then he was saying he thinks that it used to be a lot more separate in the past, but that the AIDS epidemic brought gay men and lesbians closer together and Mm. how he even wasn't aware, even though he lived through it and his, his husband lived through it, weren't aware to the extent of the role that lesbians played during the AIDS epidemic and how they basically like saved Provincetown. And one interesting thing that he brought up that I had never really thought about was that when that happened, it was a huge wake up call for gay men in terms of understanding what women go through in dealing with healthcare because their male bodies being yeah yeah they'd never been denied access to healthcare and Mm -hmm. here they were getting sick and dying and the government and a lot of doctors like wanted nothing to do with it or didn't want like weren't that interested in figuring it out because it was only i it was mainly affecting gay men and it was the lesbians who were like yep uh, we know, and this is what you have to do. <laughs> like you have yeah. to organize, you have to fight, you have to make appeals, uh, you have to put pressure on these organizations to get access to healthcare. And they knew that as women. So that 
was a really interesting conversation. Cecilia tuned out a little bit and said she started, what did she say? She said she started picturing different font types. That's what, I guess, when, you, when you're married to uh, an art director, <laughs> when they zone out, they start picturing different fonts. Classic. I mean, I think it is very true that a lot of people in younger generations, especially if we didn't go through it, still don't really understand the impact of the AIDS crisis in the 80s and early 90s and how that affected the community. And I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but there's a great documentary called uh, How to Survive a Plague, which I recommend to anyone to look up if you really want to know what it was like at that time for the queer community. And that paints a really stark yeah, picture of the time. And it's... And- It's still happening. I have a friend. My first job was working at my best friend's family pizza restaurant in my hometown. And I worked with a waiter there whose husband and him were both HIV positive for decades. And just last year, his partner, Stephen, just passed away from it. Um, It's still a thing. Yeah, it's still a thing. It doesn't get much attention because so many people live with it for years and years and years now. Like I know people in my life who in the past had near-death experiences from it, but ultimately survived because of all the developments and treatments and whatnot. But none of that would have happened if it wasn't for all the activism that was done when it was happening. Well, sounds like a good time for us to shift gears a little bit into something a little bit more lighthearted. I'm sad that you all only get the audio of this and you don't get to see Clea acting out some of these boxing moves (laughs) on the Zoom call, just really animated. This was such a lovely conversation and uh, another example of a time where we record with somebody that we don't know and afterwards you're just really, really bummed that we had to do it virtually and not in person. (laughs) Yeah. Clea is so cool. I really kind of want want Clea to come back and dyke out about like New York in the 80s. (laughs) She made some references that made me very intrigued about her life. Right, right. So for anybody not familiar, uh, Clea Blackhurst is an actress, singer and comedian known for her award winning tribute to Ethel Merman, Everything the Traffic Will Allow. And most recently, she appeared off-Broadway with Haley Mills in the comedy Party Face at City Center Stage 2. I'm so jealous, and I can't believe I didn't ask her about Haley Mills because I'm obsessed. And she has a special online concert through Radio Free Birdland on Friday, December 18th at 7 p.m., singing some jazzy holiday tunes. Let's get into it. Clea, we are so happy to have you here today on Diking Out. Thank you. Thank you, Clea. It's a joy. I mean, you know, that's not every day you get this ask. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> I really am. People aren't asking you in quarantine to dike out all the time? <laughs> no, but I wish they'd ask more because I, this would have been very handy. Uh, you know, I mean, this has been going on <laughs> so long now. You sort of want to be doing all the fun things. So I'm glad we finally got to this one. Yeah. Yes. So as a performer in New York with all of the performance spaces shut down for so long, how has this been for you? Well, I mean, it's been really, really difficult. It's been a really 
hard time. I I know that a lot of people are saying pivot is kind of the oper- the word for 2020. Um, yeah. As hard as it's been, I have been really inspired and delighted by the way uh, that many of my friends and lots of artists have been finding new ways to pivot into something else. You know, like I've I've started teaching on on line voice lessons because it's like okay well we've got to pivot to something that makes a dollar and and it just it just I did a reading last week for a a new musical that was going to be done at Fifth Avenue in Seattle and rather than scrap the whole thing they sort of reconfigured it a little bit and um and we recorded it as a a six-part mini um as a podcast so, oh, yeah, so nice. they're going to add all the, you know, it's about this group climbing Mount Everest. So I know that the, the, all the sound effects and stuff will make it this incredible thing. And it, I think it'll be great, but, um, that's definitely a pivot. Uh, yes. so it's, yeah. it's been hard. I mean, it's scary. I've, I am used to living very small in between gigs, you know, it's like, okay, we don't know when the next one's coming. So you just kind of make your money when you make it and live. And, um, but, but living with an entire, with your entire industry decimated, that's a whole yeah. other thing. That's, that's, mm-hmm. um, that's not living small. That's like a teeny weeny bit of terror. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, we're, we're in the same boat, I guess, with a lot of people actually we're, we're weathering the same storm. I don't know how many boats are the same, <laughs> but, uh, some people seem to have not been affected at all, except for working from home. So there's always right. kind of this different thing of like, actually I'm on the verge of hysteria sometimes when people are like, ah, uh, it's a, a hassle to work from home, you know? So it's a very different yeah. <laughs> thing for different people, but I don't right. think we'll ever have a, I mean, I hope knock wood. Cause every time some, every time a day passes, like some other awful thing happens, but I can't imagine that we'll ever have anything that remotely matches this. And I mean, I'm for nine 11, uh, all the theaters, I had a small, sh- uh, an off Broadway show playing at that time. We, we closed for three, for two performances, I think, or two days. Right. And I mean, just, just fit that in. And that was a big deal because theaters know right. what the show must go on. So put that yeah. into like, now it's like, wow, we are really in the middle of something historic. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's ever been through this, especially in terms of like the the performing arts. It's yeah, industries decimated. Talk decimated. about <laughs> yeah, and think of Midtown. I mean, just the theater district right. in general. There's no, there's no reason for anybody to go there. There are no yeah. tourists able to enjoy something. So there are no restaurants. There are no uh, servers. All that stuff uh, is just well, heartbreaking. Parking is still $30 for 15 <laughs> minutes. I'll tell That's you that. So Some things funny. don't change. See, I yeah. thought about that Look today. Look for comfort there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they'll, you, somebody's got to get you coming and going. And there they are at the parking lots. So yeah. I did right. walk through the theater district on Monday, and it was very depressing. Yeah, yeah, it's just the Man. worst. I mean, all those marquees out, and and you know, I even looked up. Uh, I teach a, mu- a musical theater history class. I mean, I just finished this edition, but I was looking back to the 2018 pandemic because I'd never really thought about that in terms of theater. And you know, we really—I don't know how many days we closed. I have no actual facts about that. But in general, it's fair to say we didn't really close the theaters. I'm sure they must have for some, but what they did, what I did find is that 
they had to sit every other seat in a theater. And then somebody came up before the show and gave a lesson about washing your hands and coughing into your handkerchief and not coughing towards your face. And if you coughed once, that was okay. But if you <laughs> coughed twice, you would be escorted from the theater. And I was like, now see, maybe that's what we needed to do is just have a like <laughs> socially uh, share with each other, like what kind of the parameters are, of this are and keep and keep going. But I thought that was such an interesting, like... For 1918, right? Yeah, for 1918. 1918. Oh, what did I say? You said 2018. Oh, no, no. Sorry, but I'm, like, I'm pretty sure it's 1918. Yes, yes. I'm 100, yes, <laughs> oh, 100 yes. years ago plus. Yes. But I, I do think that that is a good rule to implement everywhere always. If you cough twice, <laughs> uh, get out of my face. Yeah, you're out of here. Because there's oh, my nothing God. that's a worse Would sound to me than a stranger coughing. <laughs> Yeah. On the subway the other day. Yeah. Oh, I know it. <laughs> In my proximity, even yeah, uh, at any Broadway show, I feel like I'm always like I bought the seat that's next to the person <laughs> with tuberculosis. Right. Like they're I just. Know. It's like why <laughs> me? Oh. Why me? Yeah, those yeah. are the closest st- seats historically. <laughs> and, and don't you find like because everybody I think must have been significantly smaller in stature, mm-hmm. uh, yes. so the seats are all really close together. So it's it's kind of right. the worst of everything. Like we got big because we drank a lot of milk or something, and then and then we have <laughs> a lot of phlegm and tuberculosis, and who knows? It's just not a good combination at all. No, <laughs> uh, it's all dairy's fault. Yeah, it's dairy's fault. <sighs> Stupid cows. Uh, (laughs) Even though the performing arts have been decimated by this, uh, I do have to commend everyone for the way they're reacting because I've yet to see one Broadway or off-Broadway performer at the steps of the Capitol with a a big gun. Oh, my gosh. I know. Screaming at people. It's just not our thing, really. Like every every theater person I know is doing exactly what you said. They're pivoting. They're trying to yeah. do the best. They're trying to like focus on self care right now. Mm-hmm. They're turning to their community to look for support, and then they're finding new ways just to sustain themselves during this time. What they're not doing is demanding that things open up. Right. You know, right. like I know people who got cast in new shows on Broadway or they had their big breaks and then mm-hmm. everything got put on pause and they're they're the ones I'm seeing online telling everybody else to just chill out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I mean part of why I mean one of the pivots we did is is the I have a Christmas show that I do with my friends Billy Stritch and Jim Caruso and this would be our 11th year. Last last year was our 10th anniversary at Birdland which is like I mean to have a consistent gig like that for years and so it becomes a part of people's holiday traditions and all this stuff and people coming back and new people and right in the heart of the theater district all that stuff we're talking about and so this year I was glad there's there's this uh radio free birdland where we went in I don't know a couple in October uh, at some point and we filmed it in birdland we couldn't move out of our little areas and the drums yeah. were behind, you know, there was, there was a little bit of plexiglass here and there and we recorded our show to do it. So we get to, we'll get to be able to have 11 consecutive years so that next year can be 12 without much of a hiccup. But I was really proud of us, you know, for that. That's just another one. It's like, no, we can do, we have the technology. Wait a minute. Yes. You know, and that's, you know, that's the important thing. Just figuring out, I don't know how to, every day is like a day. You got to get up and do it. It's going to have different details, but I don't know. 
I've been pretty positive through the whole thing. Basic. I don't mind being home. I love, you know, <laughs> my pens and papers and books and all that stuff. But, you know, you want to know you could go out if you needed to. <laughs> there was a play right. to right. see tonight or something. That is, that's really a downer. Yeah. So you have just such an impressive background of performance. And for our listeners who might not have heard of you or they're not in New York or familiar with the theater scene, can you tell everyone a little bit about the kind of stuff you've done, how you got your start, sure. your passion for Ethel Merman? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, thank goodness. We got to touch on. Thank goodness for <laughs> Ethel Merman. I mean, if there had been no Ethel Merman, uh, well, first of all, there would not be a reason to live or leave leave Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm from, I'm from Salt Lake City. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, put a pin in that one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was raised Mormon and I came to New York anyway and, wow. um, lived my life fully since that moment. I was the nicest, best Mormon kid until exactly the moment I wasn't. And it's a, <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Yeah. I, I grew up in a, you know, my mom was, in, was a musical comedy actress, community theater kind of thing. And I always had the cast albums and things like that. And the first thing I really wanted to be was a trumpet player, specifically in like Broadway bands, like Dick Perry, the great trumpet player who plays in the uh, overture of um, uh, Gypsy. That that amazing solo that just like raises the raft. That's what I wanted to do. And I've played the trumpet since I was, you know, um, in fourth grade, but I'm just not good at it. I don't have, I don't have, (laughs) endurance in my lips, you know? Uh, I don't have embouchure. I can play for like 20 minutes and then I have to rest for 40. You know what I mean? It's not a good professional ratio. I can't even whistle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it. There's something about it. I love it so much. I play in the Lesbian and Gay Big Apple Corps marching band. I mean, that's how much I love it. Yeah. Uh, is, nice. Love them. They, love them yes, so much. We love them um, here. And <laughs> got to do the Macy's, Macy's this year. I mean, that's a huge... I, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't in that group. But um, the band did get to play for the Macy's Day Parade. So this was awesome. like a major. Um, I saw that. But uh, that's how much I love trumpet. I'm still like, plugging away at second trumpet in the band. But um, yeah. But I started in about high school. I realized like, oh, I could sing forever. I had no limitations on uh, hours, minutes that I could sing before needing a rest. So I kind of specifically against, you know, like my heart a little bit, switched over to the performing when I was in high school and went on the same path. Like now I've actually done Gypsy. I'm like, look at me listening to the trumpet playing while I'm getting ready to go on. You know, I still have like this total nice. love for the brass. And I fell in love with musical theater so much and so hard. Like I, my first babysitting job, I think about seventh grade or something, I would get my paycheck, my $30 paycheck, and go to the mall, buy a, an album. They were the record albums. And then I would go to the library and get everything I could find about that show in whatever books I could find it. You know, I think of like how lucky we are now with Google and stuff like that. I mean, you essentially can go down a rabbit hole and find out anything you really want to know any facet of any diamond Mm -hmm. of a show but then it was much harder you really had to tap and dig and do the stuff and I would I would work on that one show the whole week to learn about it and that's I kind of came in love with the history of musical theater as well as the actual performing and all of that so uh, I got a degree from the University of Utah in musical theater and I came to New York because this is where they kept Broadway and I was not going to, I mean, there, there was only one place to go if that was your thing. Right. So 
So I came here and started. I mean, it's been, and that was a billion years ago. And my dream was to be in a Broadway show. You look really good for a billion years Thank old. You. <laughs> you look great. I have an elixir here. Um, but <laughs> I wanted to be in a Broadway show so much. And I, at the time I got here, I just, I didn't look like who I thought I was, I guess, inside. I, I didn't get the jobs I really wanted. And so anyway, that at that point, I decided to write something. And so I wrote this evening. It wasn't, it's a, I mean, it was in cabaret rooms and stuff, but it had kind of a theatrical format. And I did a show called Everything the Traffic Will Allow about Ethel Merman. I didn't play Ethel Merman. It was just me talking about her life and her stories and singing songs in my way that had been introduced by her on Broadway. And if I could figure out what happened, then I would bottle it and just live off of it (laughs) because uh, it just hit. You know, there was a Margot Jefferson wrote a wonderful piece about it, not a review because they wouldn't review the cabaret rooms at that time. But Margot Jefferson just came and did a critic's notebook piece on it that really became like the cornerstone of my press packet, you know, at that time. And then people just started coming and it ended up running. I still do the show, but I mean, it had a good off-Broadway run for, I don't know, a couple, you know, the better part of a year and then into another year. And then I had another brief run several years later. So I've never been in a Broadway show. That's the secret. But (laughs) most people have no idea that I haven't been in a Broadway show because there's this general... I just, I made up that I was an expert. That's, that's the, that's the real (laughs) secret about being an expert. You maybe Mm -hmm. don't know more than anybody in the whole world, but you know your facet of it better than any, you know what you know better than anybody. And that's kind of how I became, you know, of the books that have been written about Ethel Merman in the last 20 years. I'm always on the short list of the, somebody who gets interviewed at least, you know, (laughs) it's just, and I think that's so exciting. And so because of that, and that I wrote the show, and Margot Jefferson in the Times was very specific about, did you write this? I, and uh, but she talked to me that night, and I said, well, we, I mean, none of the songs, of course. She said, yeah, no, I know you did. <laughs> I mean, Cole Porter, he pretty much handled the songs, but did you write the rest of it? So she was impressed by the writing of it, which, as I said, was not playing Ethel Merman. It was really myself. So it's kind of the, the secret about the show was it was a really show about me. You just had... Ethel Merman there to like be the handle to pick me up because nobody wanted to, you know, nobody wants to pick me up. And still they kind of don't. I have many shows that I do. They're like, yeah, but can we get the Ethel Merman one? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very (laughs) grateful to her. So, and since then I've kind of grown out of the Reno Sweeney anything goes days. I've done a couple productions of that and I'm firmly in the uh, Rose Gypsy years, you know? And so it's like, I just kind of, did fill the time because either you're going to be like successful right out of the gate and have a lot of years of success. And then maybe those performers sometimes have to transition later into something else. But I was not successful at the beginning. So I've already filled up all the time where I don't get to work. And now I get to work quite a bit more. So no, no serious complaints. But I just love musical theater. I mean, I just think it's like theater of romance the way life should be. It's heightened. There's absolutely nothing real about singing about I love you, I love you in the middle of the street. But um, still, it, you just can't beat it. Words and music, writing a cloud of sound to like make its point. I just think it's a spectacular art form. So 
that's kind of it. Well, unfortunately, you're a week too late to this podcast because uh, last <laughs> oh, week's yeah. episode, we diked out about musicals. Musical. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. So while I thought that we were going to be <laughs> doing that with you, today we're going to be diking out about something very different than musicals, and that's boxing. Yeah. But before we get into that, because of your expertise in the realm of musicals, just quick thing I want to confirm. Okay. Uh, Mary Martin, lesbian. Right. Well, like closeted lesbian. Yeah. I mean, that's generally the take on it. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, that's what people say. And Ethel Merman, not. That's the other yeah. take. So it's it's because people always want Merman to be the dyke. And she just yeah, she right. just wasn't. And Mary Martin, is it, it is said that, yes, that was that that's true. Like they mm-hmm. changed her Playbill biography to include that she was married to a closeted gay man <laughs> and then was supposedly having lesbian affairs with these two other performers who's oh in her in a biography a book no no in like the playbill oh in her actual playbill biography (laughs) like i guess since i I don't know if they put like (laughs) posthumous bio and and playbill now that she's uh, dead and can't say anything about it right they they really queered it up (laughs) oh man yeah, no fighting back. You know how it always is. It's like, I personally have never slept with anybody who slept with her, which would be the surest sign to right. direct line. So I can't vouch that way, but uh, that All is right. a very common rumor. I mean, that is a very common take on her life. Yeah. And she seems like a, I mean, I would, uh, it would fit for me. I think she's adorable, you know. <laughs> she, yeah. She, once she did a show with a teen, with a little short haircut, there was no going back for her. It's like, I'm in, let's do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's 100% the reason why I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs) Just exposed at a very young age. To Peter Pan. You can see, you know, it's funny because when I saw Peter Pan when I was a kid, I was like, it didn't occur to me that she was like a boy. I just thought it was like this woman who like flew through windows. I mean, it's like she was still a woman to me. I was just too young to get the whole idea that it's like, oh, I see. Peter Pan is a boy named Peter it's, uh, to me, that was just a middle-aged lady flying through windows, but it still had magic. It didn't matter. Maybe that's why I'm gay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely like saw Peter Pan. Like I knew it was being played by a woman and that she wasn't necessarily pretending to be a boy. That was just like this gender fluid yeah. Yeah. being yeah. and not supposed to be like man or woman. When I was in sixth grade, I very briefly had a a boyfriend and we were making plans to see the (laughs) school musical together. And that year it was Peter Pan. And we were talking on the phone and he was like, yeah, I just don't think that Peter Pan should be played by a girl. And I got so mad. (laughs) Like I, it just like set me off so much. And like, I swear I hated men from then on. I'm like, you stupid idiots. Like that was the moment thinking that Peter Pan... (laughs) Who else is going to play Peter Pan if not a girl, you dumb, dumb? Like, just... Have you heard the famous, there is a famous Mary Martin story where she, one of the, uh, the, the guys were pulling the wrong thing. And so she, she, they flew her into the wall backstage Yes, and they felt so bad about it. She was all bruised and stuff. She was fine, but they put up a big mattress. They bolted a mattress up there that said, Mary Martin slapped here. And I thought that was like an awesome, she loved it too. I can't remember. Maybe I think it's the Lunt Fontaine, maybe. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. 
But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Well, you know, speaking of being bruised up, uh, yes. boxing. Let's oh get into gosh. it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, my thing with boxing is I don't get in there and, like, I'm not like a – I don't have a belt or any kind of welterweight or anything like that. I started boxing uh, at Trinity Boxing Club probably about 17 or 18 years ago. I moved from there, and they've moved, so I'm not a member of their – member there now. Most recently, I've been up here at House of Champions in Harlem with Coach Jay as my coach, you know. Really, I would say what I am more than a boxer is I'm obsessed with boxing training, like like being having that be your exercise. It is the most thorough body, mind, spirit kind of setup that I have ever found. And it's so personal in terms of how you work out. I don't know if you've ever tried to jump rope seriously. Three minutes of skipping rope is like, it, it's impossible. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so difficult. I don't think I could do 30 seconds. Uh, it's, you know, it's like, it's, well, it's making a comeback, at least before COVID in the workout classes I would go to in New York. Yeah, it literally, and I use that word, I'm very picky about the word literally. Um, <laughs> it literally uses every muscle group and muscle in your body when you do it. And mm. when you go to, when you start a boxing workout, you start with about 10, 12, 15 minutes of skipping rope. So that can just be, I mean, if you stop, you just keep skipping. But I have seen Miguel Cotto, who's a major boxer. Um, He came and was training, I think, I don't remember where he's from, but when he was in New York training for a big bout at Madison Square Garden, he would train at our gym during the slow part of the day. I watched him myself skip rope for 35 minutes then do his regular workout, and then come back and finish his workout with 30 minutes of... I I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's he got beat so bad at Madison Square Garden, that fight, I can't remember. Like, his wife and his child were in the the audience, and the wife eventually took the child because he was being beat pretty badly. But what I have to say for him, he did an entire 12 rounds, essentially running backwards, in a uh, boxing ring, you know, so even though he didn't win, I'm like, that guy is a winner in my book. He basically (laughs) went this way with his hands and just ran backwards, kind of constantly away from the punches. And I think that's very significant. Also that I love, okay, you train 
in the way that a boxer trains and a boxer trains in the way that a boxing match takes place, which is three minute rounds. And then it's like, ding, ding. And they go to their corners, right? And they get, oh, you better go back in there and, you know, and your coach and they clean you up and all that stuff. Well, that's a one minute break. So you train for three minutes and then there's always a one minute break. And there's usually, there'll be a timer on that'll be like, ding, ding, you'll hear the bell. This is where you're starting to sell me on it. I need a one minute break every three minutes, no matter what I'm doing. I'm telling you, it is really, you can go through almost anything for three minutes if you think there is one minute ahead of you, guaranteed break. There's something yeah. about it. Usually what happens is you go through basically two rounds of skipping rope. Just kind of keep that going because I trip so many times. You don't have to keep track of the one minute. You're, you're never actually jumping rope for three minutes. So just keep that going for about 15 minutes. And then you go into, say, shadow boxing, where you look at yourself in the mirror and you just, you know, you're like boxing with the image of yourself. That's a famous one. Then you may go to the, that's like two rounds of that. Then you move to a bag. Either that one that I'm not particularly good at or the one that has uh, sort of elastics on both ends. So it kind of comes back at you in unexpected ways or just a famous heavy bag. Now, if you're punching this heavy bag for three minutes, you're about ready to die at minute two, (laughs) you know, but you keep punching through it. So to me, it's just been... I love it. And I'm not, I haven't been able to do it, obviously, during COVID. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you've been able to figure out a way. Well, except in my backyard to, to skip rope. And my girlfriend, I would say to her, you know, if you skip rope, it's harder than running. I mean, it's harder than jogging. It's hard, it's hard, hard, hard. And so at some point during the, the nice weather, we were skipping rope and she was like dying. She was like, oh my God, this is so hard. And I was like, yeah. see, see, I told you, you know, she never takes physical health advice from me, but, um, <laughs> but she should have, I mean, she got, she got what I was saying. So I, I was able to keep up the jumping rope, but there's really no, I wish I had like a base. I do have like a basement space, but I don't think it has a beam that I would trust like a, a heavy yeah. bag in. So yeah. So it's really that. And then I became so interested in boxing, like watching. I used to just sort of think of it as people just in there, you know, destroying each other, like beating each other, which it kind of is. But it's so one-on-one. It's so a mind game. There's like a whole mind component and then just endurance. And I think it's so – I have so much respect for it. When you sweat, like giant teardrops coming – down your face. It feels so good. Yeah. Before that, you know, I'd go to the gym and you walk on a treadmill and then I'd kind of alter it to like watch TV or I'd be reading a book and I kind of slow it down to my own thing. No, that's, I would cheat always and I'd never really sweat, sweat. Or if I started to sweat, I'd be like, well, I better slow this thing down. I'm really sweating. Um, (laughs) But boxing has really always been a workout for me that is pure and true and difficult. How did you decide to try it? Well, if, because what what you just described before is me at the gym, like <laughs> definitely being like, you know, I don't need to do another rep. Like, yeah, I'm good. I'm I good. feel a little bit of a burn. I made good it for here. me. I made it to the gym. Yeah, exactly. Well, I got to the gym today. <laughs> right. For me, it's like anything I do, I'm like, wow, this is better than the nothing I've been doing <laughs> for six so months. Good. I'm going to pat myself on the back uh-huh. and go walk home. to get in here. Uh-huh. Go get, get a glass of wine. <laughs> 
I wish. It's hard for me to imagine myself being in this space where like full, like it sounds so great when you talk about it, but it also sounds like very intimidating, I guess, to go into something like boxing. So how how did you? It it took me a lot of nerve. I would walk past Trinity. Now, see, I'm going to go. I I wonder if mine will come back. I kind of have not a good feeling about it. But I found out there's a women's gym. I, I don't. I haven't been to it, so I can't say. But on 112th and like Second Avenue, so I'm obviously going to go try that when the world comes back, sort of. But at Trinity, they were on the ground floor, and they had a giant window. They would kind of open the windows, and it was always like you could just tell it was like sweaty and muggy in there, and people were just like. I mean, it was intense. And I was too scared to go in and ask. I used to walk by those places. I mean, any place in New York that's like ground level, big window, and people are working out right in front of it. I'm like, who are these people? Right. This is my nightmare, just having everybody walk by and watch me exercise. (laughs) Well, this I kind of got, once I finally went in and said, you know, like, what's the deal with this and so on. And I went in, then it's sort of like, it really, you really just got lost in it. Yeah. Once I got over my own embarrassment at being there, because let's be honest, I've, I trained with a lot of great trainers, like Kid Chocolate is one. A lot of people know him. Peter Quillen is another one. These are like people who really like win boxing matches. You know, they had to make money in between fights. So they'd, they'd be in there being a trainer. But what was great about the club specifically is there would be four or five trainers on the floor at any one time. So you'd be doing your thing, but you'd, here's the one I love. I was doing the heavy bag one time. Oh, I'm trying to do it. And behind me comes one of the trainers. He's like, come on, show me why they call you the belter. And I was like, (laughs) he had no idea that I was a belterer, that I loved Ethel Merman, that I was this whole thing. He just, I said, I just got my boxing name, the belter. I loved it. So, um, so there was always somebody there kind of checking you, like, you got to keep your feet this way or you're going to get smacked, right? A punch is going to come in right there if you don't do that. So there was always somebody kind of watching you and yet at the same time not watching you. And at the end of every round, right, so you'd have two two at the shadow boxing, two at the bags, two at this bag, two at that bag, you know, the skipping rope and whatever. And the final thing would always be two or three rounds in the ring with a trainer and they've got the mitts, you know, and they're right, right, right left, cross, jab, hup, nope. Go, uh, you know, so that was always the culmination of the whole thing. And I would be so exhausted by that point that once I got the courage to go in, that kind of stuff faded away. It really did. And they knew I was a middle-aged lady trying to get into shape. They, They knew I wasn't trying to take their crown or their belt or whatever. So I, and they were so supportive and sweet. One of them, I was doing my Merman show in New York for a, a short uh, run. And so I said, well, if you'll come, I'll give you tickets. So he came. I, this was, uh, I think this was Peter Quillen. He came, he brought a date to my show. And the idea that I had Peter Quillen watching the songs and sass of Ethel Merman was like one of the great accomplishments of my life. And he loved it. Yeah. He said he loved it. You know, it's so cute. So um, it's just been a place I feel really safe there, you know, which is strange for something where the whole point is to like, you know, knock somebody out or get them right. to give in while, while, while I count to 10. Stay down there. Stay down there. Do not come back up. But I find it a really loving group of supportive, uh, the guys. Now, I I found the women, (laughs) I want to go to this women's gym. I'd be curious because the women were 
th- there was a different vibe about them and the guys and it, and, and it was not sexual or anything like that. Like I say, they kind of just like, they were happy I was there. I think people like me were like sort of funding, right? You got to have like people who just come in who want to learn. Right, um, right. And so they liked, you know, they they were, they liked, you know, very supportive. I love these guys. Amazing. That's how I'm going to get over my fear because I've been like eyeing boxing. I've done kickboxing classes and that's a good way to approach it. Just walk in like, you need me. They do. <laughs> I mean, all the places. You need do. me in between. <laughs> they do. I, that's that's really what I experienced is like they're they're in their training. I mean, they it, that must be like a day job to them that they're like, oh God, give me out of this gym. If I have to yeah. tell one more lady to show me why they call you the boxer, I'm going to like die, <laughs> die of shame or whatever. But it's a really complete like world in there. So I, I would be curious to see how Trinity's doing. I, I was I was a member there for uh, probably 15, 15 years or so, I'd say. Is that in Manhattan? Yeah, that one was down. They moved. They had to move. They moved because 9-11 and they moved another time. But they, they were at one place. I know they've moved from that place. But it was down in the financial district. Oh, okay. Yeah, and finally I found this one in Harlem, which should be, there should be 10 great boxing gyms up here, you know? But right. like, I mean, there certainly was at a one time in history, but I, I found this one that opened across the street from me and I was like, just in heaven. So I hope he, I hope he's able to come back. I was loving those guys in there too. I know that there are a lot of uh, women, especially queer women that I know who are athletic, who enjoy boxing or, or kickboxing, but like boxing in general, I think is often thought of as like this very hetero thing I think because of the way that it's always portrayed in movies with the exception of like what is it million dollar baby which is not and not a happy ending yeah no. <laughs> uh, but you know it, it just seems like this like straight dudes beating the crap out of each other yeah, yeah. <laughs> well why do they call it the sweet science that's what I mean if you go kind of under it a little bit yeah it, there's just a lot more there than be, than beating each other up right I can't right. speak to the hetero nature of it but <laughs> in, in terms of like what what it looks like is happening it's just so much more interesting than that and no there are yeah. no athletes in better condition than a boxer I mean they're just in peak condition they're perfect. So ready to endure anything. Like I say, just like the running, just just surviving 12 rounds and staying on your feet. You know, even when you lose that match, it's like, that's that's really impressive work. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I say give it a chance. If it's just been a matter of like being nervous, it's I'm always like that when I go in anywhere for the first time. I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know. They're probably going to think, Weight Watchers. I mean, like, they're probably going to think I'm fat. It's like, you're going into Weight Watchers. Nobody thinks you're <laughs> fat. You know what I mean? It's like, so just just get past that first conversation. I bet you'd probably, you know, and if you didn't like one place, definitely go to another. That's what I liked one that was a little, I don't know. Like, the, I go past those Rumble places with the water bags. What's that? No, they're, it's called Rumble. There's there's several of them around town. I've walked past them, and they're... Well, that actually sounds familiar, yeah, but I they, don't know about water. Well, they're bags. Mm. They're heavy bags, and they're actually filled with water instead of filled with um, sand or something. Oh, Rumble. Yeah, Rumble. I do... They had just joined ClassPass like the weeks leading up to the pandemic, and I was signed up to like be uh, one of the first class passers who could take one of their classes, and then everything see. I'm very down. curious. Uh, I'm very curious about that. That that place. See, I would think that would be less like what I'm talking about. Like you know, a guy mopping up 
sweat and no air conditioning. And the guy mopping yeah, up the yeah. sweat is named Peaches. Go, you know, I mean, like really <laughs> like sweat. Not, yeah, the sweat. That's a big part of it. Yeah. I had a roommate uh, years back in Chicago who was a boxer. And I think part of the reason I put it off, I'd always wanted to try it, is the smell. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just like this corner of the apartment. She would drop off her gloves and bag. And it was, <laughs> there was just a real stench about it. Yeah. That, like kept me from trying The it. gym is kind of like that. I feel like it's sort of like you have to like jump in, like you jump into a pool. Just get in and it'll you'll be fine. But yeah. there was definitely like... Get used to it. Yeah, get used to it. Or the <laughs> hand wraps, you know, you learn how to wrap your hands. Yeah. The other thing I love is, you know, a boxing glove, and you think of that big glove, and I would always think like, okay, because you don't want to like destroy someone's face. No, they don't care about faces. The glove is purely <laughs> to save your hands. That's the only thing it's there for. And yeah. so you wrap them up in those, you know, those ties, and you get them like all support it and that and then you put them in the glove and then you only punch it you know I was like that blew my mind I was like because that is something that just looks like it has one function that I would relate to I don't want to lose my pretty face and then (laughs) oh no nobody cares about your pretty face they just don't want you to break your hands so I think that's awesome I don't know so you mentioned like sparring with the with the trainer do you ever like spar with other other people or is that something that you'd want to do because I, I feel like once you start getting like the the skills as much as like I wouldn't want to be punched in the face I'd also <laughs> want to be like yeah I want to like try this out for real now it's like the next level yeah the next level is like where you you put the um you know you do wear those helmets and you yeah. have like the the teeth guards in and stuff like that I didn't get to like, I never had a helmet on. I owned teeth guards, but it was kind of like I really, you know, like I really wasn't good enough to need teeth guards. I wasn't in enough danger to need my teeth guards. I, I think it would be, I, I mean, I can see how that would be like a draw, but I yeah. was always just so impressed with myself making it through a day at the gym. Um, yeah. And I had my own, you know, like going to auditions and doing those things that are so humiliating on their own in a way or that you <laughs> that right. you want to get to the other side of it, that it's it's sort of like you have this secret thing. It's like what you don't know about me is that I was at a gym today and uh, P.D. Quillen said, uh, you know, show me why they call you the belter. You know, that's like my secret weapon <laughs> in an audition, you know. So I didn't ever, uh, I didn't ever go to the more competitive side of that in my mind with the boxing. I just, I just kind of stayed on the training side. Well, I guess too, as like a performer, you can't really afford to have your face knocked in or to like show up <laughs> no. with like, like a lot of bruising. Yeah, I think it's like they're they're really uh, there's like they're really strict about. I mean, I don't know what it, it seems like. Anybody who's really in there boxing in the clubs I've been in has equipment on, and I think there's a certain code to like not hurt you <laughs> but I've never been on yeah, this, so right. I don't know, I don't know right. when they're really when you're really feeling competitive with someone because there were definitely some rounds I saw up there sparring with some women that I was like they are not messing around they are not kidding they're serious about this you know I thought that's I mean I just think it's amazing same as I feel about the um trumpet leader in my band like she's like the fiercest <laughs> thing I've ever seen and you wouldn't know that necessarily by looking at her but like you listen to her play and you're like Stand back. I have nothing. I have nothing to add to what you have. You're like a master. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what it was. Also, I think I liked being part of something that was like mine. You know? Yeah. Nobody in my. I mean, there were women in there, but nobody in my. You know, friends or other performers I knew were really 
doing that. They, they were all spending a lot of time at a gym, but the boxing gym seemed to be like there was nobody from that side of my life that I knew in there. I never saw anybody who looked like anybody in my, you know, I think I was just sort of staking out something that's like, I'm going to do this. You know, I had it proudly at the, and on my bio for a long time, you know, is a distinguished alumna of the University of Utah and a member of Trinity Boxing Club because I was so proud of it. I was like, I am a member there. You know, I got, yeah, it's like <laughs> I got friends and I got all trainers and I'm, I, I rent a locker. That's when you know you're serious. Yeah. You mm. don't want to carry all that stuff home like your roommate. You want to leave that in a stinky, in a stinky locker. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's a very, I love it. It's a really cool part of my life. Are there any queer, notable queer boxers we should know about? I know about one. Who? Nicola Adams. Is that her name? She's British, but she's, I know because she's on, basically they have a show over there that's like the equivalent of Dancing with the Stars. Uh-huh. What's it called? Strictly Come Dancing. And <laughs> <Is that> really? <laughs> She's a big boxing star who was asked to be on the show. And she was like, um, only if I can be in a same-sex partnership, like the professional dancer you set me up with is female. I remember that. And so she's a part of the first... It's happening like this season right now. Oh, I love that. Yeah, she's the first same-sex dance partnership. But she's a pretty big boxer I know out of the UK. And then that's it. And I only know about her because she's a lesbian. There must... I mean, there must be... I'm I'm a little, you know... (laughs) I'm a I'm a little behind the times. I don't really. There must be though. I bet we'll, you'll yeah. hear all kinds. You'll hear all kinds of things coming in. Like, why is that woman talking about boxing and she doesn't know a single? She doesn't know about blah 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 blah. There's got to be some very <laughs> proud boxers out there with, yeah. the, with the ladies. Yeah, it's a world that I'm not too familiar with. Like, I I've gone to like one boxing watch party and. <laughs> It was only because like this weird circumstance where uh, my my ex-wife was playing basketball with somebody who worked with Derek Jeter and his Players Tribune and they were having this big watch party. I was just going because I was like, oh, cool. It's a party and Derek Jeter is going to be there. Uh, I wonder who else is going to be there. And I bet there's going to be free food. So I went and I tried to I tried to get into it. I'm like, this is so boring to watch but I feel like it's almost like American football Yeah, that if you're just somebody watching American football for the first time it's the worst you're like all right, this is the thing that everybody's into but then if you like know what's going on and you know the rules and you know more of like what these people go through to get to the point and the stuff behind it then it's like the most thrilling game in the world yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so Persians love boxing. I grew up thinking boxing was a lot more popular than it was growing up in America. My parents are from Tehran, so I thought it was like right up there with American football. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) You know, we had like the greats and then, and, and I think it has to do with like the breaking up of like the world heavyweight champion, all that got divided into all these different divisions of like what's a heavyweight and what's a ma- all this stuff. And, and so right. it wasn't as clear as like, who's the world's best that right. that was able to be like, kind of, you know, watered down a little bit. And so, and that's what I think a lot of people kind of lost. Like if, 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 if you didn't know if it's not Muhammad Ali and now suddenly it's like seven 
people that could claim that. It got less right. interesting for people, I think. And if you've never seen, uh, oh, you know the, that, like, um, I love things like rope a dope. Have you ever heard of that? That was uh, that was Muhammad Ali against. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And the whole thing was like everybody was like Muhammad Ali's comeback is like Foreman, I think, and he would just let himself like he would Muhammad Ali would just get pummeled against the ropes. And people were like, it's going to be so embarrassing for him. He's going to like, this is like, people were mortified at the prospect of what was going to happen. And then, of course, in the actual boxing match, he he had built up his core and everything to be punched over and over and over so that he, it was called a rope-a-dope because he wore his opponent out. Yeah. So it was like, who's, you know, it's like a mind game. That was another one. There right. was a mind game. And so, and it becomes like this amazing, like, rope-a-dope. Who's the dope now? The guy getting beat up against the things or the guy who's still going at him, getting ready to like pass out because he's so tired. So, yeah, I love those guys. And you know who else is a huge boxing fan is um, Joyce Carol Oates, the writer. Are you kidding? Um, she has a book. Uh, <laughs> she has a book called Unboxing. I love her. Yeah, she's. Wait, I haven't read Unboxing. <laughs> she's her father like took her when she was a little girl, and she's always been this big fan. She has these amazing essays about it. Uh, it's not a big book, you know. It's like it's a it's a small book of. I mean, it's an okay size book of essays, but he, like somebody would not expect would be like right there in the like watch, yeah, watching the sweat and the blood fly, not. you know. So yeah. <laughs> And lots of short stories about it over the ages. I love short stories. So, and you talk about being boring. When you look at those old Madison Square pictures from like the 20s, 1920, there's like hordes of people. And then the ring is like this little tiny thing down at the center of it. And there's no jumbotrons. There's no anything, but people are packed yeah. in there, like just right. watching these ants kind of go at it and then like cheering. <laughs> so it definitely has some bizarre fascination, you know? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I was also like, culturally very late to like I didn't see the Rocky movies until maybe <laughs> seven years ago or so oh, wow so that was a blind spot and then when I finally did watch it the whole time I was just like losing my mind over the character of Adrian and her treatment because <laughs> she was treated so poorly by her brother or what like well he's just like take those glasses off. You look better without yeah. them. I'm like, do you see how thick those lenses are? She's like stumbling around blind for the rest of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I loved what I loved about Rocky too. uh, Rocky in general, not Rocky too. Um, yeah. okay. uh, is it's the first time I got, it's like, Oh, it really didn't matter who won. Like he went the yeah. distance. He didn't win, but he went the distance, yeah. which was winning, which is kind of what I'm talking mm -hmm. about before. It's just, yeah. it's like, it's like this personal challenge and that, that can alter the, 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 the definition of what winning is, you know? And that feels inherently queer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll buy that. Yeah. Yeah. It works. It does. It works. I, I see it all coming together now. It's making sense. It's making sense. <laughs> Well, who knows? Maybe maybe I'll get into boxing because I am uh, I'm moving upstate next week, Ooh. and our next door neighbor I noticed has like a boxing gym that they built <gasps> out next to their home. No. Yeah, we were driving away at night, and I peeped in the window. I'm like, oh my gosh! I think that whole structure is a boxing oh gym because the guy was inside, and there was like the hanging bag, and he was just going at it. I'm so in love with New York. I'm like. Yeah, I mean, every place is like, somebody told me they were selling their house and it like went so fast, uh, you know, oh, yeah. people just 
So I'm hoping yeah. that take makes my rent eventually go down. I don't know. That's what I'm hoping. Me I thought should. So. I'm in Brooklyn, and apparently, like Brooklyn's going up as every as Manhattan's going down. Or I hope Manhattan's. I going. don't know. I live in a brownstone, uh, first floor of a brownstone in Harlem. And oh, it's sort of a gorgeous. unicorn. It's so great. It has a backyard, has a basement. Um, <gasps> it it washer and dryer, dishwasher. I mean, it shouldn't exist. It just shouldn't exist. So wow. my goal, I mean, perfect. I maybe tipped my hat a little bit to the landlord. We, I've been, my girlfriend and I, we've been here five years in this apartment. And I said to him, my, my goal is to never move again. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah. That is my goal. That's a good goal. Yeah, and As someone who's in the process of packing right now, oh, that's I a great cannot, goal. <laughs> I can't. The worst. I look back on pictures of, of my life, uh, you know, say like 1990 or something. And I'm like, look at that little bookshelf I had. And look at that little sofa I had. I was like, oh, to go back to when I like had nothing. I could keep track of all of it. There wasn't that much. Mm-hmm, and now right. it's like just getting older. You just, you can't help but acquire stuff. You can't. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many books. People come in like, well, you have a lot of books. I'm like, who would want to live without books? Not me. I I love it. We have a stairway that goes nowhere. I thought you were <laughs> going to say a lot of wigs. I feel like every performer you know, is like, I have, just have so many wigs. My girlfriend's a theater person. It's a lot of wigs. It's a lot of wigs. No. You know, I, I teach, of one of the people I teach back when I teach in real life, she's, she's an older lady, and she said to me, can I ask you a personal question? I said, sure. And she goes, do you just have a whole closet of wigs? And you just, (laughs) and I was like, what do you mean? She's like, your hair always looks so great. I was like, no, that's just my hair. No, that's not a wig. (laughs) I was scandalized. I was like, but it does have a certain wig texture to it. Like it's just a little too... Too many follicles per square inch, it starts. It could look like a wig, I guess. No such thing. No. I'm so jealous. My hair's thinning out it? completely, and you can see my skull just uh, <laughs> in front of me. I've always had, my father had a lot of hair, so um, I definitely get it from my father's side of the family, just a lot of hair. And I've gone full COVID just like. Yeah, I got, I got my hair cut in COVID. It's the best. I'm like, if I... I'm just going to do it next week. Do it. It's thinning out anyways. This is the saddest ponytail. It's the size of a nickel. Because <laughs> I say if I wasn't an actress, I would cut my hair really short. But you always kind of needed it, whatever, to go to the auditions and stuff. Even if you were going to play a character with short hair, you needed it. And then all of a sudden, one day, I was like, you you are an actress and nobody sees you. Nobody cares if you get your hair cut short. So yeah. I was cutting... I cut it three times during the pandemic before... <laughs> Like it was like a topiary bush. I took my dog's thinning shears and I was just like, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? So I say now's the time to go for a big change because nobody's gonna see you. You'll be into a new change before you have to like really present yourself again, you know? Right. I'm like, I don't need headshots for a while so I can get away with like letting my natural color come in and cutting it short. Yes, exactly. So we have to wrap up, but but it's so much fun. This has been so much fun. I love how passionate you are about boxing and also about musical theater. What a combo. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I was going to say, what was the boxing musical that came out? It was Rocky. It was Rocky. I took my nephew when he was 13. He said, this is the best I didn't even know that happened. I'm sorry. Am I so yeah, like, oh. What year was Two or three years ago. No, more than right? that. More than three? that. It's like oh. six or seven. It, it, it was... Okay, I wasn't here a blur. Yet. It was the first time the Cats marquee came down, believe it or not. Because I was like... Oh, really? My entire 
time in New York, 1985 to that present moment, that was the first time the Cats marquee came down. It was for Rocky. For Rocky. And the boxing ring came out over into the audience at one point. Yeah, yeah. So they would move. I didn't see it. I read about it. They would it. systematically move that part of the audience up to be around the ring on the stage. And it was so yeah, cool. Man. My, my little nephew says it's the best Broadway musical I've ever seen. I didn't want to break yeah. his heart by telling him it was the only one he had ever seen, too. So, <laughs> but he, oh, and he, I got a great picture of him with uh, Andy Carl, like at the stage doors. It's just really That's cute. That's a little, good uh, it's a first good. musical for a little kid. Oh, it was so yeah. good. Like, it was the best. I loved it. I, so I loved it for that reason alone. So you mentioned a little bit before that you had taped a special for Christmas at Birdland? Yes. At Birdland, but I wanted... Listeners who don't know, could you give a little background on like what Birdland is? Sure. Yes. And your show. <clears throat> Birdland is probably, I mean, it's it's one of the great jazz clubs in the world. And it's been in New York. It was in New York in the heyday of jazz and all of that. Charlie Parker's widow wanted Johnny Valenti, who is the current owner of Birdland, to take it over. Birdland referred to uh, Charlie Parker. They called him so it was sort of named for him and uh, he moved it to its present location over 30 plus years ago and um, it's a great club right in the theater district it's um, 44th street just off 8th it's great great food Monday nights is always cast party with with Jim Caruso who is my my buddy in the Christmas show. Um, and that's just a night. I mean, anybody can come through the door from Liza Minnelli to Michael Fines. I, I was hosting one night, sub hosting. And I swear to you, Kenny Loggins came through the door. It's an open mic night. It is an extreme <laughs> open mic oh night. God. So Monday nights turns kind of it. theatrical plus. Uh, and then the rest of the time it's a jazz club. And they've recently opened up a theater, Birdland Theater downstairs, which sort of handles more of the Broadway theater doing their doing their okay. acts and stuff like that. So so we have been upstairs in the jazz room for the past 10 years, the early show, the week of Christmas. So we would use that five or six performances, and it's gotten better and better over the years and just more a little bit classier, like we've gotten a little more together. It's a little less haphazard. And last year we had a beautiful album come out on a new uh, label, Club 44. So yeah, so we we went into the theater part, like I said, in October and and filmed us doing a you know pretty good representation of our show. A lot of lot of the numbers, you know, we couldn't like goof off and hold hands or like smack each other on the shoulders and stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's, so we're really excited about it. It's on Friday, December 18th at seven o'clock and you go to Radio Free Birdland uh, is Perfect. where is where the link, Birdland Jazz, or there should be a link somewhere to that. And it's called A Swingin' Birdland Christmas. And if you get Clea with a K, Blackhurst, and you spell that somehow correctly you should be able to find it they'll see it <laughs> they'll see it. okay good in the um, episode title yeah oh, good. <laughs> it's really fun it's a great it's a great show we we sort of patterned it on those old the christmas specials in the 60s and 70s they like share always had Love one that. and Ding dong, yeah. who's at the door? Well, it's Tammy Wynette. You know, I mean, it'll always be like, <laughs> so we wanted it to have that kind of feeling and flavor, but really, Billy Stritch is a brilliant pianist. I mean, he's most recently been playing with Tony Bennett. He's always been Liza Minnelli's uh, arranger, and it's just, it's great. They're fun, they're entertaining, and they're they're classy, you know, all at the same time, which is kind of hard to accomplish. So, so yeah, so that's that's 
that's what I'm gearing up for now. That's like next week, right? I mean, it's getting close. Yeah. It's yes. Up. I'm going to tune in. I've just been playing the same YouTube fire crackling Christmas tree <laughs> image. With no, tune in. Editions under it. Yeah. You'll like I it. I think there's some cute, there's some fun stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. All my, all my records are packed right now in boxes. So I, I'm going to yeah. tune in as well good. because I'm missing my usual dose of good, good. Uh, holiday cheer. And are you on social media? Can we follow you there? Yeah. 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 What's your handle? <laughs> like, I don't know. My girlfriend kind of takes care of it. I mean, I'm on that Facebook. The best answer. That was the best. She answer. would be so mad. She's I've out of the done. house right now. Um, but uh, I don't know. I honestly don't. Uh, I'm on we'll both of it. them. I'm on yeah. both. I'm on. Great. We'll I'm not it. Twitter, but, we'll but I, have a, I have an Instagram. Yeah, find me. Yes, yes. Great. We'll find you. We'll that's tag you. That's such a lame answer. Don't tell no, anybody in my so life good. that I couldn't do it. But uh, <laughs> no, this has been so fun, Clea. Thank you so much, I both of you. Really Thank hope you. that when uh, when it's safe, that we can come out and see you perform live. You. Because I would love nothing more than that. Thank you. Uh, you're you're so great and talented, and really appreciate you taking the time to dig out with us about your passions you. today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite, and it's just it's really nice to meet you both. Melody, have you bought your jump rope yet? <laughs> I have a jump rope. <gasps> nice. It's in a box of home workout stuff I made that started the pandemic that I haven't touched yet, but maybe I'll bust it out. Definitely inspired. <laughs> you know, we just bought some new flooring for the new house yesterday, and we decided to go with cork flooring because it's a sustainable product and it is also very good for your your joints because we're old and I was thinking it'd be great for jump roping on in the house to have a little bit of, of cork a little bit of spring in my step for when I try jump roping with my COVID lungs so we'll see. Hell yeah Rocky Rocket. I will keep everybody posted maybe every week I'll say how many second I'll start out with how many seconds I can jump rope for and then we'll work our way up to minutes. And one day I will jump rope for half an hour. That's never going to happen. Okay, let's go (laughs) to a listener question. This week's listener question is near and dear to my heart. You'll see why. My father is Persian and moved to Sweden about 30 years ago. His family is still in Iran. I'm a lesbian and I really want to come out and I kind of need it because me and some other people from my old conservative Christian school are starting a support group for LGBTQ plus people in that school. For me to be a part of the support group, all of my information needs to be out so that the kids can reach me. I really want to do this, but I'm afraid that the government in Iran is going to find out about this, and I don't want to put my relatives in any danger. What should I do? Uh, Well, I mean, Melody, as somebody with family in Iran who co-hosts a podcast called Diking Out... Oh, man, have I put them in danger? (laughs) Has the government... No, it's really... I think you're fine... And I know exactly who you can reach out to. Her name is Malika Zar. If any Persian queers are listening, find her on Instagram or just any social media. She is a huge resource for Iranians who either still live in Iran and are fearing persecution for being queer or she educates parents or anyone who needs the vocabulary around these issues to communicate with their Iranian family. She has fled to Berlin herself, but helps a lot of Iranians around the world. One thing I know a lot of Persians do is you say you need to give your information, but I'm wondering if you can go 
under some kind of pseudonym. A lot of Iranians with this in mind, with this specific fear, they change their social media names to like, instead of putting your last name, you change it to June, which is a normal thing you tack on to names that means dear. I can't tell you how many of my cousins' last name are June or Gol, which means flower. Like a lot of Persians fear putting their actual names out there for this specific fear. So do you really need to have your full name? Yeah, you could go by uh, Kamala Kamali. Yeah, <laughs> you can take mine. Yeah, it's. I mean, I have this fear, so it's interesting. I think about this a lot. I really want to go to Iran. I'm afraid that I, <laughs> because my name is attached to the Diking Out podcast, I might be killed. Like if I go there, or I don't know. This is something that we really don't know if they're on to us or not. We don't know where their efforts lie <laughs> with this right right yeah like how how much are they tracking people outside the country and their right. activities i think your relatives are okay i think the government there has bigger fish to fry than a swedish citizen being out and proud in europe at least no one's gone after my family yet and my name is attached to lots of gay things on the internet <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't know the culture there, but like, I understand how if you are gay yourself and living there, that there is a, a real danger. But if a family member who's in a totally different country, like how could they hold your family accountable for for that if this is somebody that's like not living with them? The way they assume ideally that your family would react is to not have communication with you. They would assume if they're good Iranian citizens that you're not a part of their life and they wouldn't need to go after them, you know? Yeah. I think you're more than okay. Is it more complicated, though, if they want to keep in touch with this family, if they want to be on good terms with this family and that kind of stuff? Oh, then that's a matter of, yeah, if within your family, if... You know, you're safe being out to them and them being in contact with you. But I, I think a pseudonym, then it sounds like probably the best way to go. I mean, I'm trying to think of one Iranian family member of mine that has their actual full name <laughs> on social media. It's all, especially after the, um, well, in 2009 with the uprisings after the election there and the green wave protests, everyone changed their name. And then... Every so often, every few years, there'll be like a big protest, a big uprising, and you'll see a lot of names changing there for extra safety. And applause to you for being part of this and wanting to get involved in this support group for the community. That's really cool of you. Yeah. That's I, my piece to offer. This person's just a really good resource for LGBTQ Iranians. Her name is Malika Zar, and it's M-E-L-I-K-A dot Z-A-R-R -R on Instagram. She would definitely be the person, I think, to reach out to with these concerns. Awesome. Well, if you have a question and you are a listener, you can send that directly to us, dykingout at gmail.com. If it's somewhat brief, if you find yourself <laughs> writing multiple paragraphs and detailing a very specific situation, for that, you can go to either wizio.com slash dykingout or jemmy.app slash dykingout. And we can answer those very specific, lengthy, lengthy questions there as we have received some that detail 
every kiss and every conversation between two people. We just can't read that on the podcast. But uh, please send Parse in it. your general questions about anything. Uh, we love them. Keep them coming. And remember to follow us at Diking Out on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and at Diking Out Pod on TikTok, where Melody posted her TikTok, and we love it. Mom, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> I was thrilled. You really delivered, Melody. I love it. But now I want more. I just want more. I'd really delivered. I did a TikTok with no edits, no captions, no transitions. I really it took two months and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm proud. Uh, you should be. You should be. It was perfect. I loved it. And you can follow me at TGI Carolyn on Instagram and please give me a follow on Twitter. I would love more Twitter followers at TGI Carolyn. You can follow me at Melody Kamali on Instagram, Twitter, take it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> you know what? If I get to a thousand followers on Twitter, I will actually start to tweet. <laughs> Not to brag. I tweet quarterly and I'm at 900 something. Help me out. <laughs> I think we have close to 300 patrons now on Patreon, and we did say that if we get to 400, so 100 more of you just need to sign up, Melody will do the WAP dance. I'll do the WAP dance if we get 400 patrons. I'll take my Patreon share, I'll take the money from Patreon, and then I'll have to get physical therapy, but it's just all (laughs) going to be worth it. (laughs) Start training now. Start shadow boxing and jumping rope. Yeah, I'm gonna hit up that WAP dance. Gonna hit up Clea for some workouts. <laughs> you and Clea can do a duet, a TikTok yeah. duet WAP dance. Hell yeah, we'll make it happen. All right, everyone, thank you so much for digging out this week, and we Thanks. will see you next, next Tuesday. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.